today. Continue our study of the book of Mark. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got a couple Bibles here. In Spanish or English. Over here, David. And your son needs a Bible too. David, you got to do something about that. <laughs> Congratulations to Timmy. Just finished his military training. He's back with us. Yeah. You know, I teach three Bible studies a weekend, uh, but I do have a, a profound conviction that Jesus said that the reason he establishes a church is to make it a house of prayer. Not a house of Bible study, a house of prayer. We study the Bible in order to get to know God so we discover who God is. We're not, we can't pray properly. We can't, uh, Jesus said that God is calling people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And how can we pray in truth if we don't know the God who we're praying to? And that's why we study the Bible. But we don't want to become a bunch of Bible study heads. Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. I have just a profound conviction. We should be gathering to pray. Every day at noon, we pray on Zoom. We pray at 3 p.m. in Spanish. If you have never been there, I invite you. If during a, a break, a lot of people join just uh, who are in break, at their work. The Zoom link is on the church email. You just go to the, our homepage and scroll down. You can get on our church email. You'll get the link, the CCITC week at a glance that Danielle sends out each Saturday. You can join that link. But also we have Sunday morning. And I'm there every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in the Fenway room. I'm also in the Zoom noon prayer about three times a week, three or four times. And it's just such a wonderful privilege to, to pray to the Lord and seek after him. I believe we also have Tuesday morning on Zoom. Is that right, Dave? And we have Tuesday morning. There's a Zoom link there um, as well. And then, of course, we also have, um, we have prayer once. Uh, I just, uh, I'm at our Tuesday night um, Bible study, we have one of those Tuesdays each month, the first Tuesday of each month. We pray, we seek the Lord. God has made us, he has created us to love him, to talk with him, to pray to him. And uh, you don't want to just become a, a sermon junkie, a Steve Cole Bible study junkie. You don't want that. You want the Lord to be forming your hearts to pray to him. And such a blessing to, to, be, to, to develop a, a life of prayer in our own life. And that's one of the things that's wonderful. I had a prayer workshop a, a couple months ago on a Friday night, and it was very well attended. There was 50 to 60 people or more. It was, it was wonderful. But these noon and 3 p.m. prayer meetings, I tell you, you learn how to pray. Uh, when you, when you attend. The leaders there have really grown in their leadership on how to pray. So with that, we are going to be in Mark chapter 13, and this is part two. Would you please rise for the reading of God's word? The book of Mark, it's the third book of the New Testament, about four-fifths of the way through. Mark chapter 13. We are going to be in many of these verses. This is our second message. 
in the book of Mark chapter 13. We'll have one more next week, God willing. We're gonna be in a lot of these verses, but for now, let's start in verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, but in those days, he's speaking here of his return, his second coming. In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they, and they, we know from the book of Matthew, is the whole world. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, every bit of it. And Lord, there are some parts of your word that are more difficult to understand than others, and this is one. The easy part to understand is that you're coming again. The hard part are a lot of the details around it, Lord. And so we, we just want to, uh, we want to honor you, Lord. We want to bless you. We want to get to know you so that we can pray to you, so that when we pray, we know the God that we're praying to, Lord. I pray that you would do that this morning, Lord, as we're in your word, I pray that you do that with the children as well. I pray that you do that at all the churches in the city of Boston, Lord. Speak to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So here we are in Mark chapter 13. Jesus has just left the temple for the last time. Outside the temple, his disciples ask him. Verse one of chapter 13, they ask him. He's just left for the last time. He says, he went out of the temple. One of the disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. In verse two, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that very thing, by the way, happened in 70 AD. Every stone, some of these stones are many tons, 40, 50, 60 tons, gigantic stones. We'll be talking about that next week. But they, they, Jesus says to them, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, it says this. There's a third question that they ask. Remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're, they're parallel accounts of, the, there's three different accounts of the same story. There's another question they ask, what will be the sign of your coming? Meaning when you come again and of the end of the age. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. In our study here of chapter 13, I grew up in churches that did not teach from the Bible. The pastors and priests did not believe many things about the Bible. For example, I never remember a single teaching about a second coming to earth of Jesus Christ. I grew up thinking that Jesus died, he went to heaven, and that's where he is for all eternity. It was not until my early 20s when I became a Christian uh, that I uh, began attending churches where the pastors and teachers, they taught the Bible, they believed the Bible, and I discovered the Bible teaches that Jesus is returning to earth someday. And that he was very, very clear 
about that. In the Old Testament, 17 books mention Jesus' second coming. In the uh, New Testament, 23 of the 27 books mention that he is coming again. Jesus himself dedicates an enormous of time speaking about it in this chapter, in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, and basically the entire last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, about his return. Now, over the centuries and today, there have been great disagreements over the verses about Jesus' return. And for that reason, there is a tendency that some have, and I would be one of those people, to shy away from the subject. I mean, the, the, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus' life is clear. His, his death and crucifixion, clear. That he paid for sin, clear. That he, he resurrected after three days, clear. That he ascended into heaven, clear. But... but his return, much disagreement about these verses that we are in today. But there's a huge problem with sort of avoiding the subject because it's hard to understand. Number one, if Jesus talks about something so much as he clearly does about his second coming, uh, he talked about it so you and I would listen and study what he said. But the second problem is this. Time and again, you read in the New Testament uh, verses uh, like this. Hebrews 9.28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time. So for those who eagerly wait for him, for those who eagerly Wait for him, he will appear a second time apart for sin for salvation. So we're told rep repeatedly that we're supposed to not only wait for the return of Jesus, but eagerly wait. In my experience, the only way I'm stirred up in my heart to long for Jesus' return is to study the scripture about his return, and if I'm ignoring it, oh, I cool off about that particular subject about his return. And I'm convinced that first and foremost, the reason that Jesus spoke so much about his return is to stir up love for Jesus in our heart and a longing for his return. Listen, Calvary Chapel, listen to me. God loves you. God loves you. The Bible teaches that you were made by God to love God back. To have a, not a one-way relationship where he's just loving you. You were made to, to love God. We just read a couple chapters ago in Mark uh, uh, chapter 11, they came to Jesus and asked him which one of the 613 commandments is the greatest commandment. And he said what? To love God. To love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love him. And the last thing you want to do, I would suggest, is to avoid all the teaching in the Bible about Jesus' return because reading and studying about his return, I tell you one of the effects it has, it causes you to love him and long for his return. So here's what I'm going to do. I have put together a chronology of what we call the end times, eschatology. Uh, can, we, uh, can we have that? I've, I've, I've put together that. Uh, David, can you bring me, David Blades, can you bring me one of those up here? For some reason, it was not in my bulletin. And so this is a chronology, a time events with Bible verses. <laughs> Thank you. Um, of, of end times events. If you don't have one, please take one. It's a little difficult to see uh, the, the details here. And uh, I've been given my favorite little toy here. It, ooh, wow. It's a, uh, it's a little laser light here. So um, just very briefly here, um, 
here you have the first coming of Jesus, his birth and resurrection. Here, 70 years later, uh, Jerusalem and the temple destroyed just as Jesus um, said that it would. And from that time on, you have what is called the time of the Gentiles. Prior to the time of the Gentiles here, um, um, it was really the time of the Jews. And I I say that not because the Jews are really um, loved by God any more than anyone else. It was because God used the Jewish people, starting with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to build up and show the world how he deals with his people and to begin the line of the Messiah, the time of the Gentiles. Um, And here you have um, the second coming of Jesus Christ, as we're going to talk about today. Um, The second coming of Jesus Christ is actually two comings. One, he comes for his church, and then seven years later, seven-year tribulation, he comes with his church. Uh, Then there's a thousand-year reign of Christ. God willing, we'll talk about that next week. And then finally, there's a new earth, and there's a new uh, Jerusalem. But Mark chapter 13 is about this period, the seven-year tribulation. It's called the Day of the Lord. Um, It's prophesied in the Old Testament, a day in the sense. If you look at how that word is used, Day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's a a time period uh, when that is uh, referred to um, usually, if not most or all of the time, the Day of the Lord. But As you are speaking about this subject of Jesus' return, there are some difficulties. Anyone taking seriously a study of Jesus' return is faced with a couple of difficulties when he or she reads Bible verses about Jesus' return. And I want to talk about some of these difficulties. The first difficulty, difficulty number one, is that there are verses that say that Jesus' return could be at any time, and no one knows the time. But there's also verses that Jesus' return will be at an expected time. In fact, down to the day. And so that is a difficulty. So, uh, so many. So your your face as a serious student of the Bible. What do I do about this? Uh, sometimes I'm told that um, he's. I don't know the day or the hour, and and it could be any time. Other times, um, it could be um, at. It appears that it's expected down to the day. So let's start off with um, many verses about Jesus coming state that he could come at any time. For example, James chapter four, verse eight. This is a very familiar kind of language in the Bible. Establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. Meaning, don't be scatterbrained when it comes to your life with God. Establish your heart. For the coming of the Lord is at hand, meaning it could be at any time. And then it says in Acts chapter one, verse seven, this is uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples. Um, He had already resurrected from the dead at this time. He's in a glorified body and they asked him, are you coming now to establish your kingdom? And, and, And he said, it's not for you to know times or seasons. Anytime you listen to some crazy on the radio or the newspaper who has said a particular day or a week or a month or even a season, notice it says season, run in the other direction. It's a great distraction and it's false. And they've always, every date setting has always been proved wrong. It says in... Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack, meaning he's not lazy, uh, concerning his promise, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So it, it, look, it, whether today, whether it's a thousand years, we don't know. We just know it'll be sudden, and it'll be like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't announce to the home, hey, I'm going to come to your house uh, the, next week. No, that doesn't happen. So there are these verses that, that are clear that Jesus' return could be at any time and no one knows the time. However, other verses state that when certain events happen 
at a future time. I'll try to make this clear to you. Other verses state that when certain events happen in a future time, those who are alive at that time will know exactly when Jesus' return will be down to the day. And we can see that um, from uh, the chapter we are in today, Mark chapter 13. Let me try to explain. Uh, Again, in Mark chapter 13, Jesus has just left the temple. The disciples point out the huge stones in the temple. Jesus tells them, do you see these great buildings? Not one of them, uh, verse two, will be left upon another. Then they ask him, Another question, what will be the sign of your, um, uh, what will be the signs of your coming? And so last time uh, we went over what the signs of Jesus coming and the, the signs of Jesus coming that we discussed, false Christ, verse six, uh, wars, verse seven, famines, verse eight. Um, by the way, Luke adds pestilences, pandemics, far worse than what we've just seen, far worse. Uh, earthquakes, verse four, persecutions, um, verse nine, lawlessness is actually in Matthew. The whole world will hear the gospel. This will be a sign prior to Jesus' return. But then verse, uh, the, 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 the eighth, it says, the Antichrist defiles the Jewish temple. So go, go, go to uh, verse 14 there, Mark verse 14. It says that, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, now if you have the NIV, you don't see Daniel the prophet there, but that's in Matthew 24, specific reference to Daniel the prophet. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, then let those who are in Judea Flee to the mountains. So, it, and, and notice how it says right in the middle there in verse 14, let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Uh, in other words, reader, what the, what the verse is saying is, in other words, you need to go to the book of Daniel, reader, and see what it says about the abomination of desolation. What in the world is that? The abomination. So if you go to the book of Daniel, you will see that in the periods leading up to the return of the Christ, it says that an anti-Christ, a false Christ, a false Messiah will go into the Jewish temple and force them to stop making their offerings and sacrifices to God and he will exalt and magnify himself above God. That is what Jesus is referring to in verse 14. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, in other words, that's gonna be a sign prior to Jesus' return, it's saying here. But, but here's the deal. Remember what we're talking about. When is Jesus gonna come back? The prophet Daniel says, Now try to stay with me here. Everyone with me? All right, okay, I saw, yeah, good. The prophet Daniel says, and remember it says in verse 14, let let the reader understand, meaning you guys need to read the book of Daniel. Well, when you go to the book of Daniel, it says this. It says, from the time the daily sacrifices are taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, just um, if you think that's a fluke, (laughs) that's actually mentioned six or seven times in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, that after the abomination of desolation is set up, meaning the temple's defiled, there shall be 1,290 days. Sometimes it says 42 months. Three and a half years, it says. Now, when Daniel says something, we need to take it very seriously when he gets down to specific days because for those of you who were with us in the book of Daniel, and I highly recommend going to our website and going to the study in chapter nine of the book of Daniel, Daniel also predicts down to the day 
when Jesus Christ will come into Jerusalem right before his death. That's in Daniel chapter nine. And I don't have time to go through all that here, but I tell you, as a new believer, as one who, I, I have a, I'm just naturally a skeptic. I, naturally, I don't believe anything. I was shocked to read Daniel's, Daniel chapter nine prophecy that after the, 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 the proclamation goes forth to build the Jeru- Jeru- um, Jerusalem by King Cyrus, there will be a certain amount of days before Messiah comes. And bingo, if you do the calculation, that's when it happened, that's when Jesus came in. And, 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 and so here we go, another prediction by Daniel the prophet of a specific number of days. In other words, it's exactly a, an exact amount of time that people will know when this occurs in the future. When there's a Jewish temple which is rebuilt and, 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 and sacrifices begin and, and the Antichrist comes in and he sets it up and he sets it up to be worshipped, you just, a countdown starts. So again, difficulty number one is this. Difficulty number one, ver- some verses say his return could be at any time. Other verses say his ret- return will be at an expected time. What do we do with this difficulty? Uh, what's the answer to this problem? Um, the answer to the problem is that Jesus returns twice. The first time he will return to deliver the church from that, this same tribulation period. He will deliver the church. The, the church will be caught up. It's, I believe it's in Thessalonians, the word caught up in the Latin Vulgate, ruptura, raptured. He will be caught up during this time and, and br- brought to heaven. The second time, can we get the chart up, Josue? The second time um, will be seven years later when he returns and establishes his kingdom. A couple weeks ago, I put up this verse, which describes how Jesus will come to deliver the church from the Mark 13 tribulation time, which will be a time that it says in Mark 13, just um, before turning your attention to the verse, um, go to uh, verse 19. It says, in those days there will be tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor shall there ever be. I mean, this is one bad time. But the Bible says the children of God are not appointed or the church is not appointed to wrath. Jesus will take up the church right here in 1 Thessalonians. The apostle Paul says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And I'm so thankful that this room is filled with people who have turned to God from serving idols. Do you know that the Bible says in Colossians and Ephesians that an idol, covetousness is an idol, when you covet something, when you want anything more than God, that is an idol. I'm so glad that, that many of you have. Some of you have not. You have not turned from idols. There's still idols set up in your heart. But this says, um, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven even Jesus, here's what's important, who delivers us from the wrath, the tribulation to come. So that's difficulty number one. Let's go to difficulty number two. Difficulty number two is that there are verses that say Jesus, when he returns, he's gonna bring believers to heaven. But there are other verses that say when Jesus returns, he will take believers to earth. What do we make of that? So again, for G, there are some verses that say G, when Jesus returns, he'll bring believers to heaven. John chapter 14, uh, verses uh, two and three, very familiar verses. In my Father's house, this is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many mansions. Some of your translations will say many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. Where does he go to prepare a place for them? Father's house, heaven, speaking of heaven here. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And then importantly, that where I am, there you may be also. Clearly talking about heaven there. Clearly. But then there's another verse in Revelation 19, 11, verses 14 and 15. It's very different. This is talking about Jesus' return too. And, it, and it's speaking about his return, bringing believers to earth. Um, this is uh, John. The Apostle John saying, I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. This is Jesus Christ. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now shout it out. Who are the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen? Shout it out. It's believers in Christ. It's the church. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule over them with a rod of iron, meaning the kingdom will be initiated at that time. What's the answer to this problem? What's the answer to the problem that on one hand that um, Jesus returns to bring believers to heaven um, and on, on the other hand there are verses Jesus returns with believers to earth. The answer to the problem is this, Jesus will return two times. The first time he will return to deliver the church from the tribulation period and bring them to heaven. The second time, um, seven years later, to end the tribulation period. We read about in Mark chapter 13 and at that time he will gather, he will establish his kingdom. Difficulty number three. Difficulty number three, uh, uh, there are verses that say Jesus himself will return to gather believers from earth. In other words, Jesus is returning himself to himself gather believers. There's some verses that say that. But there are other verses that say clearly when Jesus returns, he doesn't himself gather believers. He sends angels to gather believers not only from earth, but heaven. And so the verse there um, for Jesus himself will gather believers um, from the earth. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, speaking of Jesus' return, speaking of the rapture, speaking of his first coming, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the Latin rapturo together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So notice very important, very important. It says he himself, himself. That, that's an important word. It was put there very deliberately by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is the word. It was put there by him. So here, Jesus himself gathers believers. However, in Mark chapter 13, in Mark chapter 13, go, up to, go to verse 26 with me. Time for you guys. No more projection screen, at least for now. Go, you're, Mark chapter 13 in front of you. It says this. Speaking of Jesus' return in verse 26, we began with this this morning. It says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then listen, not he himself in this return. It says in this return, he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest parts of earth to the farthest parts of heaven. So how, what is the answer to this apparent inconsistency where clearly in some verses Jesus himself comes in other, to gather believers in other verses he sends angels to. The answer is the first time he will come twice. First time he will return to deliver the church from the Mark 13 tribulation period and bring them to heaven the second time seven years later to end the tribulation period in Mark chapter 13, he will come and he will send the angels out. Difficulty number four. Difficulty number four for students, and I hope every one of you is a student of the Bible. 
It's, it's our life and breath. It's what teaches us how to know God and pray to him. Difficulty number four, there are verses that Jesus' return goes unnoticed to bring believers to heaven. It, it, it just unnoticed. All of a sudden, boom, it happens. But then there are also verses saying that the whole world is gonna see when Jesus returns. The whole world. And so, the verse that Jesus returned goes unnoticed. Um, um, the, the return that Jesus uh, return is unnoticed. Actually, I'm going to read it here. Looks like I don't have it. Oh my! I'm going to read it here. It is in First Corinthians, a very familiar verse. If you actually, why don't you go there? Go to your right, about a hundred pages. So I think God wanted everyone to read this right from chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Chapter 15, verse 51. Go to the right, about 150 pages. Everyone there, if you're there, raise your hand. Everyone there, all right. First Corinthians 15:51 This is the apostle Paul speaking of Jesus return. He says, "Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep," referring to death there, "but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the um, trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed." For this corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality. And so um, verses uh, that, 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 uh, that appear to read that, boom, the Son of Man comes, he's not really even seen. It says uh, he meets believers in the air and then they're brought up to heaven. However, there are other verses that say this. Matthew 24, verse 30 says, speaking of Jesus' return, this is Jesus himself speaking, all the tribes of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. How do you reconcile this problem? The answer to the problem is that the Bible says that Jesus will return two times. The first time to deliver the church from the tribulation period. And then the second time, seven years later, to end the tribulation period and establish his kingdom. So, let's go back to Mark chapter 13. I want to talk about this tribulation period again. Again, it, it des describing this period. Uh, it, it, it's just uh, incredible. In verse 19, the, in those days there will be such tribulation that has not been seen since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time. And, and again, we put up these nine signs in, in verse uh, six, false Christs and prophets, wars in verse seven, famines in, in, in verse eight, persecutions, verse nine, uh, just terrible persecution, lawlessness. Um, and, and, and so you have these persecutions. Now, what's the book of Revelation all about? The book of Revelation, among many other things, fills in more details that are not included in Mark chapter 13. So for example, in the book of Revelation, it describes this tribulation period at length. Now listen to me, I'm here in Revelation 8. It says this, it says there's a, 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 a series of trumpet judgments and in verse eight, during the tribulation, the Mark 13 tribulation period, it says the second angel sounded, meaning sounded the trumpet. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the seas died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Actually, I forgot the first angel. It says, the first angel sounded and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all grass, green grass, was burned. And then it says, 
and the um, third angel sounded and a great star, verse 10, fell from heaven burning like a church, uh, like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water and the rivers became the waters, a third of the waters on planet earth became wormwood and many, many men died from the water because it was made. Again, it says, like it says in Mark chapter 13, Jesus says and right after he left the temple, he's talking about a time right before his return, a seven year time where the tribulation will be such that had not been since the beginning of the creation of the earth, nor ever will be. Now all of this begs the question, right? This begs the question, why? <laughs> I mean, why on earth is this happening? I mean, is not God a God of love? What is going on here? God's wrath and judgment coming in an unprecedented manner at some future time. Why? And again, can we have the chart again? It, it, it says that when the abomination of desolation is set up halfway period, um, it, it's called it's called the Great Tribulation Period. Do you guys see that on your charts? The Great Tribulation Period. And it's during that time, um, Jesus say, says in verse 16, um, well, if you can just go to verse 17 of chapter 13, it says, woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in this time. And pray that your flight may, be, may not be in winter, for in those days there will be tribulation as never seen. So this is a very serious, the latter three and a half years, especially a great tribulation. But why? What, what in the world is going on here? Why is the Lord doing this? I believe there are at least two answers. Two answers to why this, this, this intense period of, of, of trouble and human sorrow and pain and misery as such has never been seen on planet Earth. Number one, um, the tribulation. Why? God must give a final display on planet Earth that he really is God. You see, a lot of people mistake the mercy of God for there must not be a God <laughs> because there's so much suffering on the earth. So, uh, 95%, which is due to sin, to man's rebellion, that how can there really be a God if there's this much suffering? Now, the Bible is very clear that God does use throughout all human histories, there have been judgments um, deliberately brought on by God, wars, famine, natural disaster, for the purpose of getting man back on track with the Lord. The Bible says without God's judgment, we would be consumed by our sin. But, but still, man, he has taken it easy considering the depth of man's rebellion um, against God. I, I think of Psalm 83. I love this. This really puts it in perspective of why there, there, there is, the Bible teaches, why there must be a final tribulation on planet Earth as opposed to, for example, a future judgment in hell. Why here on Earth? Here's the psalmist crying out to God. I think it puts it purpose, uh, perfectly here. He's crying out to God, do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, meaning they're just making a mess. A, they're, they're rioting against you. They're shaking their fists against you. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. And then it says in, um, at the end of the psalm, Psalm 83, it says, let them be confounded. He's crying out to God about the enemies of God that hate God. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. There needs to be a final display of judgment would be the first um, uh, would be the first reason um, that at least that why there is this the Mark 13 terrible tribulation p 
period. The Bible's so clear that up to this point in history today, this year, uh, May 15th, 2022, at, at least from the flood in Genesis chapter seven, by the way, that God has displayed incredible mercy on planet Earth. Incredible long suffering. He suffered long. Love suffers long, the Bible says. And, and, and that he has restrained himself the Bible says we're not treated as our sins deserve. He, there's been a restraining influence, the Bible talks about, on the earth, even though so much of planet earth mocks the idea that God is really God or that he even exists. But there will be, uh, come a time where there's a visual display of a full judgment. The tribulation, why? Um, reason um, number two, it will initiate, listen to me, it will lit initiate down here the greatest revival ever seen on planet Earth. I mean, you read, we're reading about revival. We read Charles Finney. That is nothing compared to what is going to happen in the last seven years during the tribulation period. Revelation chapter seven, there's 144,000 Jews are saved. Most scholars believe they're evangelists who go out to the whole world. Uh, and then Revelation chapter uh, uh, seven says this. Um, John says, after these things I looked, and he, he, he's having, God's giving him a vision. And a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne of God and crying out, salvation belongs to the Lord. And verse 13 says, and one of the elders answered, he said to me, who are these who are arrayed in robes? And where did they come from? So again, the vision is he's seen this great multitude, more than can even be numbered, it says in Revelation 7, 9. And, 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 and it says one of the people asked John, who are these people? And John said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That there will just be a phenomenal revival where, man, if, if God didn't get your attention up to this point, he's getting your attention now. And, and hundreds of thousands, millions, it says more than can be numbered, are going to come to the Lord at this time. They're going to come to the Lord at this time. You know, it, um, it says in, in, in 2 Peter, in the book of 2 Peter, it says in the last times, there will be people who say, oh, come on, Jesus coming again to judge the world, to make things right? It says this. Peter says this in 2 Peter verse three. Know this, that scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers. People who scoff at the existence of God. Scoffers. Walking according to their own lice, lust, rather, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Eh, this is no such thing as Jesus coming back to judge. And then he continues what they, these mockers say. For since the fathers fell asleep, they died. All things continue the same way. And then Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, 5. But this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. He's saying, they forget that the world was judged. It was flooded. <laughs> this has happened before. They forget that. Verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by that same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of God, godly men. But then it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, the promise of his return. As some count slackness, meaning he's not like delaying it because he's lazy or something like that. He's not delaying his return for that reason. 
but his, it is his long-suffering towards us, his long-suffering love, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The judgment, the coming of the Lord is delayed because God wants to save you if you've not been saved. I want to conclude with this very quick story. I was, um, man, last night, I, 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 uh, I was, uh, had this uneasy feeling. It was like a spiritual presence of uneasiness around me about midnight. I'm like, what is this? And I said, I can't continue. I, I, it's, midnight is just beginning for me. Uh, preparing my sermon. I can't continue like this. I need to go out. And so I walked, I walked around right here in the city in Mission Hill. There's a big, large loop. And I was on the street, and Mission Hill is very active on midnight on Saturday night because there's a lot of parties going on. And I came around the corner, and there's five guys right across the street. So I'm, I'm on this side of the street. There's, there's five guys walking Big old guys. Not all of them were big. A few of them were. And I said, Lord, if you want me to talk with these guys, have one of them just shout out at me. It's a true story. I never remember anybody ever shouting out at me from across the street in the, in, at midnight. Now, I'm like this nerdy guy. I have this umbrella. It's barely drizzling, right? And I have this umbrella, and it's completely hiding who I was. And so I'm going around, and all of a sudden, I, five seconds after I said, if you want me to share with those guys, have one of them shout out. All of a sudden, some guy goes, hey, man, it's not raining. <laughs> and he included a really nasty expletive. And so I said, oh, with my umbrella, and I just went right towards them, and these guys were like, whoa. <laughs> and uh, I went up to... One of them, he was in the middle. I, I believe he's the one who shouted out. And I said, that's a very interesting cross you have on your chest. What does that mean to you? And he said, listen, I'm going to church tomorrow. But right now, he was, he was, he was clearly intoxicated. Not, not severely, but he, he, he was bold, put it that way. I'm going to church tomorrow, but right now I'm going to go party my mind off. And he, he walked away on the other side of the, uh, of the, um, of the sidewalk. And, uh, but not before, you know, before he said that, I said, because he didn't want to answer what the cross represented, I said, that's the cross is where Jesus died. He died for all your sins. And then he said, yeah, okay. he, he said, I'm going to party all night. I'm going to church tomorrow. So, so they, they moved on and uh, they clearly didn't want to talk to me more. So I went back to the other side of the street and I start walking again. Man, I'm just walking home and by the way, don't feel sorry for me. This is like Christmas candy, this kind of, these kind of things for me. And so I'm walking on the street, and all of a sudden, uh, about 50 yards, I, I see the same bunch of guys cross over the sidewalk right in front, and they're on my sidewalk. And they're basically blocking the sidewalk, trying to get into a party. And so they didn't realize that I was just making my way towards them. And so I find them. Again, I go up to them again, and I said, you guys didn't answer. Who do you think Jesus is? And this one guy, and this one, and the guy, the same guy, by the way, with the cross, he said, how old are you? <laughs> and I said, well, take a guess. How old do you think I am? And he said, listen, I'm a college student. His countenance completely, totally changed. He goes, listen, I'm a college student, and I'm just out trying to have fun. Leave me alone. And I said, is that what you tell the Lord, to leave you alone? And then he just went into his party. And I have a question for you. This is not, pray for him. This week, I've been praying for this guy ever since. But I, 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 now I'm talking to you. Is that you? Is that you? Are you just wanting God to leave you alone? You say, why would I do that? I'm in a church. Well, I, I'm very familiar with people in church. Uh, they're in church, yeah. But you, you start meddling with a particular area of their life. Leave me alone. On live stream, any of you. Is that what you're like? 
Just leave me alone. This earth is God's. Planet earth is the Lord's. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. This is the Lord. Are you treating this uh, like that guy? Like, like I, I'm willing to think about God or talk about God, but if he gets any close, leave me alone, God. There's a few of you in here. That is you. Leave me alone, God. Few of you on live stream. Leave me alone. The Bible says that God delays his return so you can stop that nonsense and turn to him. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slack. He's not lazy concerning his promise of his return as some count slackness, but it is his long-suffering love towards you, towards us, not willing that any should perish. That's the heart of God. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want judgment on anyone. Not willing that anyone would, should perish, but that all should come to repentance and salvation. I'm going to close with this. This is just this glorious verse. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, this was the truth for people living before Jesus, people living with Jesus, and people living today, and it carries right through into the tribulation period, the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that your heart and my heart, book of Isaiah, is desperately wicked beyond cure. There has to be a payment for it. There has to be a payment for your sin. There has to be a payment for um, you, me, and everyone um, for a good part of our lives. Some, some of you are still doing it. No, 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 leave me alone, God. This is your world, but leave me alone. It's my world now. There's gotta be a payment for that. But God, and, and the payment is death. The payment is, 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 is judgment. The payment is judgment for eternity itself. But God doesn't want to judge. He's not willing any should perish. So he sent his son into the world and, and his only begotten son that whoever believes, not whoever tries to be good enough uh, to get to God, but simply believes in what he did should not perish, they will not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm gonna call the worship team up now. I'm gonna ask you if you're a parent, if you could go, um, one of the parents of kids could go get your children in Sunday school and nursery because I've gone over, forgive me. And so we're gonna close the service, we're gonna close the service with a, a, a worship song and if you've been asked to pray, please come up. I'd like you all to rise. We're going to close, uh, sing a closing worship song. And I think about why all this, why all these verses about Jesus' return. There's, I, I said this last week. Um, I've been told that for every one verse about uh, Jesus' first coming, meaning coming to Bethlehem, coming to the nation of Israel, for every one verse, there's eight verses about his second coming. That's astonishing. And, and, and why is it? Well, we discussed, among other things, he wants you studying it in order to love him, in order to long for him, in order to want him. If, if some of you uh, are in this place that you're just wanting a greater portion of God, or maybe you've been saying, look, leave me, uh, leave me alone. And you just want to end that nonsense. That was me until I was 24 years old. That was me. Leave me alone, God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm a college student. This is how to having fun. You may be f not 22. You may be 42 or 62, however old. You just want to do some business with God. For any reason, you may want to come up and pray. Maybe, maybe you've never, maybe, maybe you've never believed on Jesus for your salvation. Bible says that a man or a woman cannot be saved by living a good life. It's impossible because the Bible says all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. No one's good enough to deserve a relationship with God. But through faith in Christ, we can enter into a relationship. He says in Revelation 3.20, knocks at the door of your heart, every man's heart. Whoever opens that door and says, come in, I surrender, I give up. I'm, I'm done with this life of saying to you, God, let me alone, come in and let my, your will be my will. If you've never done that, come on up. Let's pray through that. Father, I just thank you for this time. I pray, Father, that you would help us as we do business and close out the service, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.